What was the first computer you ever got? Do you remember? When was it? What year? First computer. I remember when our church first started. This was in 1999 before our church first started. I got a computer. Well, as would happen by the fall of 2000, uh, it broke. So uh, there weren't like a lot of, re- lot of uh, computer repair places uh, then, but I found one and it was a ways away. So I remember taking this big thing and um, this tower machine and going and I'm like, listen, I just drove a long way. Is there any way I can just sit here with it while you repair it? And he was like, absolutely, no problem. So we're there, we're chit-chatting for a while, and eventually we got onto the topic of church. He asked what I do, we talked about CCV, I invited him to come. He said, absolutely no way. <laughs> now, usually it's because people like are pretty far from God, and then the church is icky or whatever, they don't want to do it, and that sort of thing, but not in this particular case. I said, so what's your barrier? And he said, a couple years ago, I was on vacation, we went to England. I thought, let's go ahead and rent a car, even though they drive on, he said, the wrong side of the road. And I'm driving, and I wasn't paying particularly, I, I got confused in the middle of an intersection, and I had a head-on collision with a car. He said, that's why I don't go to church. I said, was anyone injured? He said, the teenage girl that was driving it died two days later. I'm like, I get. He said, God, God is the last. God, God, I'm the last person, he said, that God wants to see in a church building. And then I explained what I want to talk about today. Without sharing the particulars, any names, any situations that would give away anything, I asked everyone on our staff to send me an email privately of quotes that they remember of things that people can't forgive themselves for. Things that just keep coming to mind. Like in the strangest situation, you'll be in the middle of Giant or Wegmans or in the car or whatever, and then this memory pops up, right? Of Just something. And it just bugs you or it can be even debilitating. And I'm going to share some of those later. But when I compiled the list, I could just feel the weight of what you all were carrying I could feel the weight of what staff members shared. And I could feel the weight of what I was carrying. When you carry pain like that from previous sins, it feels like you have a secret. It robs you of being in the present moment of your life. It robs you of your future. It hurts your relationships. And ultimately, it hurts your relationship with God. And as the great spiritual writer Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, guilt is an idol, and we all know what God thinks about idol worship. So today what we're going to do is, hopefully it will be an experience like in the Old Testament, when they would rediscover God's word, and they would go up to the high places, they would take their idols and destroy them. We want to destroy the idol of guilt that we're carrying around. We're in the middle of a series called Traveling Light. Frank and Melissa did an excellent job, didn't they, over the last two weeks setting us up. 
We've been talking about the way we become Christians and God forgives us. And the Apostle Paul talks about how when we participate with God in the life of the church and in community, we are transformed into his image. We, like, wouldn't you all agree that for those of, uh, those of you who have become disciples of Jesus, as you've pursued Jesus, you're just a different person today. You're more like Jesus today than you were a year ago or 10 years ago. It doesn't mean you're uh, by any way, shape, or form perfect at all, but where you are today is fundamentally different from where you've been. And that process is something that will continue until the day we die, but sometimes we hit a snag. Sometimes it's like we're on vacation and we realize we've overpacked and we have a couple bags that we need to drop because they're just weighing us down for the journey and guilt is the one we want to tackle today. Two passages I want to look at, very practical and when we leave here today, my hope and prayer is that you truly leave having forgiven yourself. First scripture, John First chapter, First John 1, if we claim to be without sin, and John is like, guys, have you ever met someone who just feels like they're perfect and they're looking down on other people, right? And, and he's like, let's just get this out of the way in case there's anybody in the room who thinks that they don't have any sin in their life. And let me just pause and say one of the great observations from one of my favorite spiritual writers is this, if you don't think you are the most sinful person in this room, you don't know yourself very well. If you don't think you're the most sinful person that you know, you don't know yourself very well. So John's like, listen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's just get that out of the way. But if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, we know that if we confess our sins to God, what? He forgives us. But what we don't realize is that's not exactly what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is that if we confess our sins, it comes from um, the Greek word homo legeo. It's the combination of two words, homo, which means same, legeo, which means to speak, to confess your sins means to, there's one person here, and there's another person here, and this person is saying the same, that, same thing that this person knows. In other words, the Greek word homologeo, to confess our sins, occurs four times in the New Testament, and every single time it involves confessing your sin to someone else with skin on them. Jesus' brother James put it this way. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that's because when you confess your sins to another person, it, it's, it's, it's healing. Something actually happens. And so the first step that we're going to talk about today to being relieved of guilt, a guilty conscience, is to confess your sin to a wise Christian brother or sister that can keep a secret until the grave. Have you ever done that? There's this uh, book 
um, called Introduction to the Devout Life. I discovered on a, on a retreat at a monastery years ago. St. Francis de Sales wrote this book, Introduction to the Devout Life. And what he was doing is he was coaching people who wanted to go out and make a difference for Jesus into the world. And he said, the first thing that you have to do is take out a sheet of paper and write down every single sin that you have ever committed from your earliest memory up until today. Leave nothing out. What you did, what the other person said, for those of you who are in recovery, this is called what? Fourth step, right? And so what St. Francis says, you take that entire list and then you find a trusted uh, Christian or brother and you sit down with them and then you read it in its entirety. Everything. Francis called this the purgation of the soul. Getting it all out and there's someone with skin on them that hears it. Now, one of my favorite authors, John Ortberg, must have read this because he went to one of his mentors, a man named Dallas Willard, and he said, Dallas, I want to sit down with you and I want to confess my sins to you. So John Ortberg made a list. If you made a list, how many pages would it take up? I know some of you. A lot of pages. Me especially. Orberg had pages and pages and pages. And he sat down with Dallas Willard and he said, let's start at the top. And he read it line by line as he's weeping and just full of shame. He's just reading every single thing that he has ever done. And then when he was done, they just sat in silence, feeling the weight of it. And then Dallas Willard reached over, grabbed his hands, looked at him in the eye and said, John, I have never respected you or loved you more than right now. And he said, Christ forgives you. You're forgiven. About a month ago, um, I was at dinner, my family, wife and kids. <laughs> Debated whether I was actually going to tell you this, but you should know I have skin in the game. So, um, when I was in high school, I smoked pot three times. Some of you are like, I smoked pot three times this week. <laughs> I want to tell you why you shouldn't smoke pot. It has nothing to do with what you're doing to your brain. When I was a kid... Uh, I had two wonderful sisters growing up, but my cousin who lived in Kentucky, their family, because he was in the National Guard, you know, when you're in the National Guard, you have to serve one weekend a month. Their base was in Columbus. So they would drive up. We would go to my grandma's. I would spend the night for the weekend and I would spend the whole weekend with my cousin. And I did this my entire childhood. He was essentially like a brother growing up. When I turned 16, I was going to a baseball tournament and, and uh, some friends and I on the team were driving down. We picked him up to go on down uh, to Tennessee to go to a tournament and a friend said, we ought to get some reefer. And um, I had not smoked pot before. But on that trip, me, my friends, and then my cousin who was two years younger than me, we got high. First time he had ever smoked. First time I had ever smoked. 
Um, a year later, he had come up to Columbus, and I found some from a friend, and we got high again. A year after that, I graduated high school and became a Christian, and I went to his town to a school to prepare to be a pastor, and I was excited because he had started using drugs more. I had become a Christian, and so I thought, this is a perfect opportunity now for me to spend time with him and help him to essentially kick what I had helped introduce to him. So we spent a better part of a year together. One weekend, um, he was out fishing with some friends, presumably high, and um, got his feet tangled in some fishing line. And the boat capsized, and he drowned. And then my uncle, who was the fire chief on the 20-minute drive, was talking back and forth to the people that were there, not knowing that it was his son that he was going to see. And at the viewing, I just collapsed into my aunt and uncle's arms. I am not exaggerating when I tell you every single day of my life for the last 35 years, I have felt that I caused that. And um, as I'm talking to my family, because I had never told them that before, and the reason the reason I was telling this is because I had gone to a doctor for migraines and he said, you have PTSD. You have the symptoms of PTSD, this anxiety feedback thing in your brain. The reason I was telling my family that in the first place was because he was like, this, this part of your brain, this is, you, you have PTSD. And I'm like, well, what could that possibly be? And then I was like, oh, I know what that is. Every single day of my life for the past 35 years, I have said this to my, myself. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve anything good in my life. God, if you would prefer to kill me so someone else can, can, can have something, every single positive thing that has ever happened in my life has always been balanced and anchored in the back of my mind with this feeling that I don't deserve this. I share that because I just want you to know that I have skin in the game when it comes to this issue too. And like, <laughs> is the thing you're struggling with like weightier than that? Like if, so if you don't have someone that you can confess that sin to, like my family was so incredibly not minimizing it at all, but very gracious and saying, you need to stop kicking yourself over this. We have a counselor here at a church, Matt, fantastic person, who can help you. Just go to the church website, Grace Counseling. Sign up to meet with Matt. Confess that sin because the Bible promises healing. Here's the second scripture. The second scripture says, My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
This phrase, we have an advocate, comes from, and I just want to thank our arts team. We've got a bargain price, this, this thing, so I don't have to, uh, okay, maybe it doesn't work now. Here I am, this, this great screen. So thanks for our arts team for a bargain price. Um, two things happened this week. Uh, one, we got this. Second is I was trimming my beard. Those of you who have beards, I was trimming my beard. And then you know this little part right here under your lip? I went, whoop, and it was gone. So I had this beard and this little thing, and I was like, what do I do? I'm going to have to shave it. And so anyway, so that happened this week. So did someone clap for me? You really don't like the beard that much. You're like, get rid of that nasty looking thing. So here's this big picture item. This is why you can't forgive yourself. This is why I couldn't forgive myself. And if you get this, this is going to help you, literally. So here's you and me, right? Stick figure in the middle. We do these things, right? We'll just call these sins. Right? We have all of these sins in our past. All of these sins. Because someone comes along with skin on them, they introduce us to Jesus. And they talk about how Jesus will forgive you of your sins because of what he did on the cross. So we become Christians. And what happens is the Bible tells us that God the Father... Who is just and loving caused Jesus to die on the cross. Now, what happens is the Father can't see through Jesus to your sin. The Bible says, as far as the east is to the west, God has removed our sin from us. Isn't that great news? Every single thing that you and I have done in the past, the Father can't see it because it's under the blood of Jesus. The cross has paid the propitiatory atonement. Jesus became our sacrifice so that when We sin, God sees the cross. Now our past sins are forgiven, but when you sin now in the future, Jesus becomes your lawyer. The word parakletos, when it says Jesus is our advocate, my daughter is a lawyer, um, uh, prosecuting and going after um, uh, people who have hurt women and children through assault. And there's a particular love and vengeance to protect these people, right? So what Jesus is doing is Jesus is going to the Father because because God is just. God the Father wants to go after the sin, But Jesus serves as our propitiatory atonement, Romans 3, becomes this lawyer that says, no, don't do that, go to the cross. In other words, all of this is to say in theological terms, your past is forgiven, and then when you confess your sins to Jesus 
as well as to another person, you're forgiven. Here's the problem, though. God can't see your sin because all he can see is the cross. But what we have is a problem of memory. That's our issue. When you become a Christian and you confess your sin to God, and then you go back to God and you're like, God, I still feel guilty about this. I still feel guilty about this. Will you please forgive me? And God's like, shut up. I have already forgiven you for this. And what we're dealing with is not that this is settled. You have been forgiven. Jesus has paid that penalty. What you're dealing with is your memory. It is your memory that you're dealing with. It is your memory that is causing the problem. And that then, according to scripture then, is this proving ground. Your brain and Satan become this incredible team to shame you and keep you from living in your new identity as a, as a child of God, to keep you from walking and realizing that this is gone, he'll keep these memories alive over and over and over, and it becomes this feedback loop over and over again. You keep thinking over and over about these things, and what happens is anxiety gets involved, repetition, feedback loops, all of this happens. So, that said, there are two things going on. Number one, sin is gone, but the memory persists. And number two, we think that what we have to do is atone for this memory. For all of these sins, we have to do stuff. Number one, the first thing that we do is we create an Excel spreadsheet. And those of you who do this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You create a good list and you create a bad list. Right? These are all the things that you've done that you can't forget that are a part of your memory. But then you will, I'm going to start doing good stuff. And what's going to happen is I'm going to hit a button to reconcile it. And if the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, the memories are going to go away and they're not going to go away. Because when you committed that sin and you keep repeating it over and over again, you created a new neural pathway in your brain. The other thing that we do is flagellation. We hurt ourselves. You see the old movies? People throwing iron on their back, causing their back to bleed. We do that all the time. What do we do? I can't enjoy this moment. I can't enjoy this new relationship. I believe God is judging me because of a past sin. I cheated on my spouse and then blew up that relationship. I've become a Christian since and I've gotten married again. And every single time something happens, I believe because she's unhappy right now that I can't be happy and I can't have a good relationship. And so what I need to do is I need to stay unhappy and I need to make a list of good things that I'm going to do because the bad stuff won't go away. And Jesus is like, where did you get that? Why? Yo, no, seriously, dude, you are a new person. This 
That's a terrible picture, actually. I don't know how to erase it. Sorry, it's a new board. Anyway, that's you with a big, big, big mustache on. So, like demoralizing self-talk. You're stupid. You're bad. You don't deserve this. We may not vocalize it, but we, we see this, right? We think, and somehow we're going to make the universe correct by hurting ourselves and... Here's what many people in this church have said. I regret what I did that caused my divorce. I made a lot of mistakes as a parent. Or, I was a good parent. But the few mistakes that I made were big, and I can't forgive myself for them. I've alienated my family with my political viewpoints. I cheated on my wife, and we got a divorce. I cheated on my husband, and we got a divorce. I cheated on my wife, or I cheated on my husband, and they don't know. I treated my parents terribly at times. I had multiple sexual partners before I was a Christian. I've had multiple sexual partners after I've become a Christian. I watch pornography. I cheated a lot in school. I have an addiction I've never shared with anyone. I've had an abortion. I've had two abortions. I'm attracted to someone other than my spouse. I have a gambling addiction and debt my wife doesn't know about. I have a gambling addiction that my husband doesn't know about. I've hurt friends in previous relationships. My pattern is I become friends, we stay friends for a couple of years, then I move on to a new one. I really regret things I did as a parent, and I wish I could go back in time. And then more than all of these combined, I've done things that I simply can't share. I have two questions for you. Number one, have you made Jesus your leader and forgiver and have been baptized? Until you do that, you are going to feel guilt. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to make you feel the guilt and the need to make Jesus your leader and forgiver to be forgiven. Counseling is not going to help you with that. You need to submit to Jesus. So we have a baptism service on April 24th. Go to the app, sign up to be a part of that, or we can do it sooner than that. But number two, once you're baptized, do you understand that Satan is conspiring with your brain to keep you trapped in shame and guilt? Jesus said Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And so what I want to do is I want to share a scripture verse that everybody is going to remember right now. You're going to commit it to memory because if you don't, what's going to happen? You're going to go to hell. That's right. So here we go. <laughs> Romans 8.1. Here it is. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now what I want you to do is we're now going to say this out loud together. One, two, three. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's say it again, but I want you to say it as if you just thought of something you can't forgive yourself for 
and Satan, you realize that his job is to make you miserable, keeping you from walking in your identity as a child of God, to keep reminding you of a sin that's already been forgiven. And God's like, bro, seriously, let it go. But if he can keep you bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up again, you're just not going to do the things that he's caused you to do with joy and with love and compassion and impact. So let's say it again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do. This week, you're going to meet with someone. You're going to make a list and you're going to confess all your sins. When that person confesses all of their sins, we want you to share them on social media. Okay? Do that. That's important. We want to get in all the dirt. Right? No. You're going to take it to the grave. You're going to find that person. But number two, you're going to be in the middle of a store shopping. And then something's going to trigger a memory. And you're going to have this memory. And there's going to be this twinge of guilt. And you're going to realize at that moment, all of this is just a memory. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Oh, my gosh. All of this is a memory, right? All of these are memories. It's a memory. So you're just going to say, I've already been forgiven. There is now... No condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. You say it, you're going to feel better, and about five seconds later, it's going to come back in your mind, and right when that happens, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go, huh, okay. And you're not going to fight it. You're not going to fight it. It is the fighting of it and the repetition of it that causes you to feel the anxiety and the guilt over and over again. So what you're going to do is you're going to create a new neural pathway in your brain. And what you're going to do is you're going to say, huh, okay, so I have a little exercise. For the next 20 seconds, do not think about Bigfoot. Don't do it. If Bigfoot comes to your mind, say, get out of here, Bigfoot. Don't think about Bigfoot. Don't think about the prince. Don't think about the video. Don't think about the shows. Don't think about getting on Finding Bigfoot. Stop thinking. Now, you know why I'm doing this, right? What happens when a thought comes to your mind and you try to make yourself not think of the thought? You keep thinking of the thought. So what you need or what you're going to do now is you're going to create a new space in your brain associated with memory. That is associated with peace. I am at peace with God. And I'm at peace with my past. I'm not minimizing it at all. I have crucified myself enough for 50 lifetimes. But his work on the cross is enough. And so Satan, you keep bringing it up. Because it doesn't affect me anymore. So when it comes to your mind, huh. When it comes to your mind, huh. And over time, it will lessen and lessen and lessen. And then what you'll do is you will separate the memory from the guilt and the shame. And it's just a memory. And you'll be free. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our community. We thank you so much for the freedom that you offer us in Jesus. We thank you that you don't minimize our sins. 
Our sin sent you to the cross, a violent, terrible death. But at the same time, you give us a pathway to freedom. Help us today to smash that idol of guilt on the way out and to not pick it up again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.